music stops, so I have to come up here and say hello to everyone. And my wife's like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? I enjoy talking to you, you, to you guys. I'm sure you enjoy talking to one another, right? That's why we're here. Fellowship. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start our service. Uh, what's the first song? How Firm a Foundation. Let's stand up and we'll sing together. 601. If you want to use it. about the fiery dross you will consume, the gold refined. We, um, we just had a special this South Sunday. Was that Jaden that did that? About the the, uh, the three guys in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that fire, what did it consume? Their, their ropes, their bounds, right? It didn't consume their clothes. It didn't consume them. But it, So God directed that fire to take away the stuff that he didn't want. And that's what he does with us too, right? That's what I was just talking about. All right, let's sing next. Uh, I'd rather have Jesus.
obviously about dying and death, but would you guys know the reference to Mount Pisgah? What is that? Does anybody know? Hmm? Is that in the Bible? Well, I know, but like, what's the story? Is that where Moses died? So he was seeing the promised land from that mountain. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. All right. Well, the answer, question is answered. All right. I'm done. So I'm going to ask you to pray about something that is not that big a deal, but it's a big deal to me. So I showed you last Sunday my father's ring. 
So yesterday I took it off and I passed it around my Bible class. I was talking to them about it. And I forgot at the end of class to ask for it back. And the one, for one student said, Pastor Ray, I think I just left it lay on the table. And anyway, it's not, it's, it's a 50 cent piece. It's just always sentimental. That's all it is, right? It's stuffed in the end of thing, in the scheme of things. It really doesn't matter much. But if you pray about it, I'd like to get it back. So, you know, we'll see. It's got to be over there someplace, right? Somebody's just kicked it around or whatever. So, and whatever, it doesn't matter. All right. So, uh, Captain Bly mentioned these to us last week. This uh, World Magazine has given him permission to offer this article from their magazine to you, free of charge, by the way. Uh, what they'd like for you to do, I'm sure, is to say, oh, wow, World Magazine. Maybe I should consider it. I'm just telling you. But having said that, it is a, when you download it, it is a mega file. And our printer will literally only allow us to send it to the printer and print one copy and then send it to the printer and print one copy and then because the printer doesn't have enough RAM memory in it. We don't have a high-end printer here, obviously. But anyway, having said all of that, what we would prefer is you, because we can send you the PDF and you can look at it on your computer, right? So that's what we prefer, rather than making a hard copy. So if you say, Pastor, I just can't use my computer that way. I'm too computer illiterate. <clears throat> Or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we can make you a copy. Just know that, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not that it costs so much to make a copy. It just, it's kind of a hassle. I'm just being honest. It's just kind of a hassle. So, but we can get you the PDF, and you can look at it right away. So uh, if you want, uh, Miss Space, she's over there tonight. But I'll put a piece of paper out here on the table, and you just sign up for it. What she would need is your email. And then she can send you the PDF, and uh, it'll go that way. But if you need a copy... Let us know. We'll get you a hard copy just whenever we get around to it, all right? <laughs> all right. So to, to continue the pitch for the article, the, the, the key to the article that makes it, it's, it's not the, the front cover, it's not the, uh, the pages, it's the black and white pages that are in the middle of it. It's a four-page timeline uh, of what has happened over the 75 years that's important because it will help you to understand um, this is just an example of a couple of the pages of it and many of the events that have taken place that relate to Israel um, since 1914 um, that's where they started which is where we're going to get to eventually um, but not tonight um, so I, I, I would seriously encourage you to read it I have a copy of it next to my computer when I'm studying to do things for this because it helps me to be able to actually pinpoint, you know, some of the events and, and, and just remind myself of the, uh, the events and the circumstances that were surrounding some of these and, and who, are the, who are the individual indi uh, individuals that were part of that particular, whatever that particular event was, which president, which, which prime minister, which, you know, and, and what, was, what, what was the precipitating cause that was associated with it. And then... Um, a, a, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Mark Menick, who pastors uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church in, in Greenville, um, preached the message um, two weeks ago, I think it was, a biblical perspective on the current situation in Israel. Now, for those of you that know Dr. Dr. Menick or know 
it's, it's, it's a typical one-hour sermon, okay? But it is, it is loaded with information, uh, a good bit of which I can't begin to start covering if I'm going to cover some of the other things that I would like to cover. So that link at the bottom there, uh, it, you can just take a picture of it, download it, um, and, and enjoy. And it is, it is really enjoyable to actually to listen to him walk you through this, because he, he has spent um, many weeks in the Holy Land, in the Middle East, and so he's speaking from first-hand experience in, in many cases. So um, I, um, I can tell you, I, I sat down and I was enamored with it, and there was just so much stuff that was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that, I forgot about that, I forgot about that, in terms of you know, my own studying. So um, that would be something that I would encourage you to do um, most of us have at least an hour a week to, to do something else with, and, and this might be something to do. So, and then again, the print copies are available. Um, uh, Faith has a couple of them on, on, on her desk. Um, I can send you the PDF as well. So it, whether she sends it, I send it. Um, and the same thing can be said for the slides that we're using last week and this week. So I'm going to go back to this again because... Maps and lines in the sand are incredibly important if we're in trying to understand what is happening geopolitically and, and, and that it's geography and politics. Just they, they're hand in glove. And it, depending on, on where you see these lines and the nature of the lines, tell you a great deal about what was intended and what is going on. Now, there are, are natural boundaries between countries. For example, the Euphrates River, the Mississippi River, these, the mountains, the, the Smoky Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, etc., in, in the U.S. and other mountains around the world are, are natural barriers, are natural borders that, that divide people groups uh, and countries around the world. <clears throat> However, if you go to places like the Middle East, uh, to some extent, but if you go to Africa, South America, and to a less, lesser extent, uh, the United States, although there are some of them here, but they're not, they were not done for the exact same reasons. Um, during the colonial period, the, the colonial powers would, would split an area not for anybody's benefit but their own, because what it did is it split people groups and created perpetual conflict in those areas. Um, and, and so if you see, like in, in Africa in particular, in, in areas of in the Middle East to the east of this, a, a straight line going across, like you can see that straight line going across there in the Promised Land in Saudi Arabia, um, that's the kind of thing that you will see. And understand that those were put there artificially and deliberately. And they have had huge ramifications in terms of ethnic conflict, civil wars, etc., um, over the course of the last two, three hundred years. And, and the colonial powers deliberately did this so that there would be perpetual conflict. We saw this in, in, in Eastern Europe when we had the pseudo countries of Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, for example, and, and what what that created in, in all the years subsequent to that. So um, understand that when, when, I, when I'm harping, if you want to call it that, on this issue of the map, which, it, which map, it's important, okay? So this is, 
This is the promised land. Remember, this is the Genesis 15 um, promised land. And, and we get, you know, you have to ask the question, well, why, why is it so much smaller in, in Joshua 13? It's because Israel didn't do its job at the beginning and God gave them what they, could, they, would, they would possibly handle and they didn't handle it again. Um, and then we, we talked about last week the Palestinian loss of land, 46 to present. And if there is one thing that I, that I hope you leave here tonight with is this, an understanding of what Palestine is what Palestine is not, what Palestinian is, and what Palestinian is not. And so we're going to spend some time on that because, because if you don't get that straight in your head, when you listen to the news and, and, and you listen to conversations, um, you're going to be spinning your wheels and going in circles because um, so much of what is said is just flat, inc flatly incorrect and it's, it's, it's being articulated for some very um, political purposes and almost propaganda purposes, okay? So we, we, we ended here last week. Now, so let's talk about Palestine and Palestinian. When anybody uses the word Palestine, understand that they are, they are legitimately talking about a geographic area, right? That's it. Palestine is a geographic area. That's the only thing that it, that it has anything to do with, right? The, 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 the ground under our feet, the ground under their feet, all right? And we'll look at a little bit of the, what, what's happened. So then what is a Palestinian, all right? Well, I'm going to work from the, from the back end forward. It's, what it is, it's a modern... And when I say modern, I mean 20th century forward, a modern, fabricated propaganda term. It's deliberately used to, from a propaganda perspective to get people to, to think something that's not true for political purposes. And if, if we step back a second, when we, when we talk about the Middle East in particular, Everything that's going on in the Middle East has a spiritual purpose associated with it. There's, there's, there's spiritual reason for it, okay? Because there's a spiritual war going on, there has been a spiritual war, there's going to continue to be a spiritual war, and at the end of the day, while Palestine may be important and other, there's one piece of property in the entire Middle East that has eternal significance and it is that which is being fought over because what is supposed to happen in that one small piece of property and it's Jerusalem who owns Jerusalem becomes important what's happened in Jerusalem in the past is important who won the battles of the past becomes important. who's going to win the battles in the future are going to be important. Now, who's coming back feet on the ground to Jerusalem? Jesus is, okay? So everything that's going on in the Middle East is all about Jesus' return. And if, if, if Satan and his minions are capable of basically eradicating Israel from the sea to the river... 
as you've heard, then that event can't take place in, in their, their philosophy, their worldview, okay? So that's, that's the bigger picture. So there's another problem here. Palestinian, for there to be a people group, Palestinian, there has to be something else, all right? Um, a unique language, all right? Their language has to be unique. Now, we'll, 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 we'll talk more about that, but it's also a unique ethnographic people group, all right? It's a distinguishable people group, all right? They have a history, etc. Now, um, I have a very good friend who I spent a lot of time with while I was in the military and, and when I was in contract world. Um, she's, she's an anthropologist. Um, she got her PhD at Sorbonne in, in, in France, and she and I spent a lot of time together. And this was, this was one of the most, um, what do they call it when it's, it's like Mutt and Jeff? It's, it's like the, the, the polar opposites, okay? She is about as far left a postmodernist as you can get. Some of you are going to go, okay, I got that. And then here's this, this fundamental Baptist former chaplain, and, and, but we got together and we talked this stuff all the time, and she said, I wish people would just understand the simple aspect of ethnography, right? And so there, there is no such thing as a, a Palestinian people. There's no record in the, in the, in the history of, of, of humanity that, that, that says that. Now, what we'll talk about is, is current things as well. So does it matter? Well, yeah, it does. Does it matter whether there's a Palestine and a Palestinian? Yes, okay, because here's, here's the, the issue. If there isn't a Palestine except for geography and there isn't a Palestinian, can there be a, a, a nation state? No. What is a nation state? Well, they have an economy, they have a postal service, they have banks, they have politics, they have a, a judicial system. I mean, there's, there's a whole set of things that are, that are factors. There cannot be a, geopo it can't be a geopolitical entity either because there are factors that have to be in place for a people group to be considered this in, in the wider space of, of what's going on. And so when we, in, in order to get there, they needs, there needs to be a lie that's told often enough that it becomes true. This is what we're facing, all right? If, if, if my argument is correct that there is no such thing as a Palestinian people group, there are no Palestinians. There is no Palestine to be fought over in, in the same way that we have, you know, we've had wars over, over property, if you will. And, and then, so we, what we have is that history has been redacted, changed, and revised in order to support this art, the artificial boundaries that are associated with this, um, and they're drawn in the sand to support the lie. This is the history of, of maps, map making, um, over, over the last three, four hundred years in particular, all right? Prior to that, when you talk about um, Nineveh, the Babylonians, the Media Persians, the Phoenicians, you know, name all those... Those, those countries of antiquity, they didn't have boundaries. Why? Because they were at war all the time and, the, and, and everything was shifting. Who owned what city in what year? And were there people groups there? Yeah, there were people groups there. And we'll talk about a little bit of that here in a minute. So we've, we've, we've got to recognize the fact that when we're talking about, first off, we need to think about it eschatologically. What's, happen what's happening in the future? What, we're, what are we expecting? What does the Bible have to tell us? Secondly, Understand that there is a war 
of ideas going on in the world today, um, and, and, and this is what we're facing. And it's the war of ideas is full of lies, right? Full of lies that are told often enough that they become truth. Our education system in the United States today is full of that, right? Um, so the table of nations, we have to go back to Genesis 10, okay? And, and, and this becomes very significant for us as we wrestle with um, who are the nations, okay? So remember, as, as we look at human history, we, we begin in the Old Testament with Adam and Eve and we get through to the flood. And, and after the flood, how many, how many people are left? Eight, all right? Four couples, all right? Now, I, I just recently, in, uh, in, I don't know, how, do many of you or do any of you get acts and facts from the International or, uh, Creation Research Facility? They had a great piece, and I'll bring it next week, I think, um, on, on the issue is could we get to the 800, is it 800 billion people in the, in the world today from the eight couples uh, that, that came out of the ark? And they've got an algorithm that basically lays it out very clearly, and it's entirely possible without, without some exaggerated um, numbers or, or, or crunching or, or collapsing um, generations, the, time, the, the, direct, the duration of a generation, whether it's 25 or 33 and a half years, and then how many, what's the replacement rate of, of, of childbearing women, whether it's 1.2 or 12, depending on, you know. So, and it's entirely possible. So out of this, you go 300 years, three, 350 years after the flood, we've got the out, of the, out of the three sons of Noah, we, we have some 70 different nations that are represented um, across just this section of the world. But we know that by this time, it's, it's even dispersed further than that. And so as we, as we take a look at this, you, ask, you have to start asking some questions. And... and in, in the modern state, in the modern era, the United Nations provides us with some excellent insights in terms of trying to understand who's who and why, right? So in the, in the course of the, you know, the, this is 22, 23. So about the 75 years um, that, that the UN has been around, all right, they have a whole set of charters, they have a whole set of, of rules, regulations, rationale, et cetera, for who's going to become a member of the United Nations and, and, and what's the process. So let's, t let's talk about Palestine for a few minutes, okay? <clears throat> if you ask the question, what is Palestine's status according to the United Nations, and there's a whole process by which a, a, a country, or I'll just use country right now, has to go through in order to be accepted by, and it's agreed upon by the General Assembly and the, um, what's the other body? The, the, the five major powers, Security Council. Um, and so there's a, there, there's a vote that has to happen on, on that in, in both areas. Okay, so what is, the, what is the status of Palestine according to the UN? Originally, going all the way back to, you know, the early 1900s, it was categorized as an observer entity, right? Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that they're a thing, 
but they're not a nation. They're not really a country. They're, nobody know, knew for sure. And all that they were were an observer to the UN, which, which meant that they had a place to sit, but they had no permission to speak because they weren't part of the General Assembly and they weren't part of the Security Council. Well, in, in, in November of 2012, through a lot of what was going on, and, and this is largely in the Islamic world and some pressure that, that, that's been that put on the, the entire UN, um, they, they, they were able to negotiate a, a change of the language associated with Palestine. Right? And, and today, it's a non-member observer state. Now, think through what did those words really mean, all right? They're still not a member of the United Nations, right? They don't have all of the things that are, that are necessary for a, a nation or a country to be considered an independent political entity with all, the, all of the things that you'd expect, okay? A judiciary, some kind of government, there's a postal service. I mean, there's a postal service. You think, well, why is, that, why is that important? Well, mail is important. I mean, it's just it's one of those factors. Uh, a banking system, etc. An observer. So they haven't changed from from the, the the position where all that they can do is observe. And and this is the token word. They're a state, right? And this was this was because of a lot of the pressure from the Islamic world, who. And you have to understand in the 21st century, this is where we are at today, right? The, the largest voting bloc in the General Assembly is the 104, that's the last count that I had, Muslim-majority countries, of which they want to have Palestine to be considered one of them, and et cetera. So the, the, the reason that I just go over that is, is to help you to understand that there, there, there are legitimate ways about going about the process of becoming what you want to become. Or you can go through the political propaganda process, which is all that, all that Palestine is doing. Because at the end of the day, if you, if you, track, you, you track Palestine back hundreds of years, and you, look, you ask the question, who's living there? And, and by the way, if you, well, if you look at this little block here, that includes Gaza. Can anybody tell me what that says in the block? Nobody? Canaan. All right. So who lived in Canaan? Huh? Canaanite. That, that was that's your, the right answer, Jeanette. <laughs> and, and so the Canaanites lived in Canaan for a long, long time. And then the Phoenicians came in, and the Phoenicians lived there, but they all lived in Canaan. And then it became, it, it became more generally noted as, as, as um, um, Palestine, and, and that's one of, this is one of the interesting pieces that Dr. Minnick um, talks about in, in his, and I don't, I don't have time to get into it, it, it dealing with the, the five prim, primary cities of, of that area. Three of which 
are, are no longer visible, and you, you, you have to dig through farm ground to get down to it. Um, and there's two of them. One of them is Gaza. That still is in existence, all right? So now, the, the table of nations helps us to start to understand who's who and what, what is really going on um, in the, in the, back then and then today, okay? So now, then let's look at something else, okay? One of the, one of the more significant indicators in terms of what makes people groups a people group is language, okay? The table of tongues. <clears throat> now, the, going back to Genesis 11, um, this is um, God speaking, telling us the whole thing. The whole earth was, was of one language and one speech. Now, I, I'm going to be a little bit obtuse here, uh, ornery if you will, um, and ask some questions. What does the word one mean? Singular, okay. So there's only one language, okay, and one speech. Does anybody know what that one language or one speech was? No, we don't know, all right? It's, it's never told to us what it, is, what it was. And so, but this is, this is the status of things in Genesis 11. One speech, and from a, from a linguistics perspective, it means one lip and one set of words or one phonology and one vocabulary. Now, if only, there was only one language, how many dictionaries did you need? One, okay. So the vocabulary was well understood by everybody, and not that they had, the vo they had uh, dictionaries and so forth at that time, at least not that we're aware of, okay? But, but so one speech, one language, all right? This is where we get started in Genesis 11, all right? And so at the same time, there were two commands given by God to replenish the earth, one to Adam and Eve, and then another one to, to Noah, all right? And it's fill the earth. It's like, go, move, find yourself someplace to homestead and, and, and move, all right? Well, that never really took place, all right? So in, in Genesis 11, we find what I call God, man's rebellion. It says, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth, all right? They already knew that they were supposed to go fill the whole earth, and by this time, there were hundreds of thousands of people. And, and so there was plenty of opportunity. But they all said, let us make us a name, and we, lest we be scattered. And God says, oh, all right. So Genesis 11, 7, and 8, we read, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence to the upon the face of the earth, and they left off or ceased building the city. Now, <clears throat> this may seem like something pretty simple. How many of you are what, we, what are called language literate people? You know what a language literate person is? Picks up languages easy. You can speak multiple languages. I'm what's called a language illiterate person. 
I'm fortunate to be able to speak the English language, uh, etc. I, I barely passed Spanish in high school. I failed the foreign language aptitude test when I was going into the military. How I passed Greek and Hebrew in seminary is beyond me. Um, it was by the grace of God and, and some very gracious, especially Hebrew. I, 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 I tell this to people with, without, without hesitation. Hebrew for me, the, the only way I know how to describe Hebrew when I'm looking at a, at a page in the Hebrew Bible is it looks like worms on a page and they're all moving and they, they don't stay in the same place for the next, for any level. It just completely racks my, I mean, just whatever. So it, I would, you know, it, I, I listen to, you know, around the area and you, you hear languages all the time. I mean, I have no idea what they're saying. Um, and God said, we're going to confound their language, okay? Now, here's what had to happen. And this is, this is the part that, that when you actually study this from a, a, um, a neurological perspective or from an ethnographic perspective, what God had to actually do is to alter the brain, alter the nerve processes, and alter the speech apparatus. Now, that means your mouth and, and everything else because the way we manipulate our mouths, our tongues, and everything else affects what comes out of our mouth when we attempt to speak. Um, and it requires a, an entirely different wiring diagram to be able to speak these different languages. Because they don't, the, the logic system and everything else is different, right? And so what God then did in, in, in the context of this is he created an inability to communicate and cooperate. If, if you can't communicate with someone, how well are you going to cooperate? Now, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just talking about in terms of doing things. I mean, you may, be, you may be the kind of person that nobody can cooperate with, even if they were speaking the same language as you are, but I'm not talking that. I'm talking about this idea that, that in order to get things done, you have to be able to communicate and cooperate, okay? So what, what's go, what, happen, what happens all of a sudden is like you're listening, okay? But all you're hearing is gibberish or babble. And, and, you, and you, all of a sudden you hear, oh, I understand what that person said. Who was that? Where are they at? Right? Because that's what the brain does. The brain processes the, the, the sounds that a person makes and, and if, if, I don't know, if, for those of you that have traveled around the world, you know that this is the case because you've been there. If you're on the subway someplace and, and, and you're in a foreign country, if somebody else is speaking English and they're just even barely whispering it, you know it. And you'll, you'll, go, you'll go find them. I did this all the time. When I, it didn't matter whether it was in Korea, Japan, Germany, France, wherever I was, all right? or walking the streets of Manila, uh, it, it didn't matter. I listened for somebody that would be speaking English, all right? If, if they were speaking something else, what's the point, you know? Um, you had to find a, you know, you, you know, we, we say, you know, we say, well, what do, you, what do you know about Spanish? Taco, burrito, <laughs> whatever. So, but this is what God had to do, all right? And when you talk about the, the table of tongues along with the, the, the table of nations, all of a sudden now you have these nations with d 
different languages, all right? They may be neighboring nations. Um, my, uh, my niece is currently living in um, Czech Republic. Her husband is Slovak. And, and Alice, or, uh, uh, Lauren is, is um, learning Czech, but she has to go shopping in Slovakia. And so she's having a horrible time learning that. And, and the reason I say this is because they, the, 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 uh, after World War II and when they were splitting up things in the Axis powers and the Allied powers, they, they created these two countries, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. And they were amalgamations of different people and different people. They never could get along together within their own country. Never could, had a very difficult time, you know, creating government or anything, all right? And so God knew exactly what he was doing when he did this, okay? He, he knew that if he was going if, 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 if mankind was going to go fill the rest of the world, um, then this was going to have to happen, all right? Now, um, so when we when we take a look at this and we, we we bring it into the future, now this is this is what's called the modern table of languages. Now it's it is a it's an eye chart, um, and I'm going to move over here so I can I can read it. So when you when you ask the question what is missing, that's going to be a hard one for you to answer. But um, just think about the languages that you know about and what we're talking about. The big languages, which is in that that top triangle are English and French. Globally, between English and French, that's the, the largest majority, right? And, and some people say, French? You know, all I know about is French toast. You know, beyond that, I don't know anything, right? But when you look at Africa and, and other places, um, French is extreme. Then we get to the regional languages, and, and what what what... These are, okay, there's, there's two things here. Um, those that have an asterisk after them are the languages of the United Nations, and those are Arabic, Chinese, English, French, Russian, and Spanish. The other one in that group is German. Now, German is not one of the, the, the languages at the United Nations, or had not been, okay? Now, they have translators for just about every language that you can imagine today, um, when there's conversations going on in the General Assembly, etc. But the official languages. So why do you think that German is not a language that's an official language of the United Nations? Huh? World War II. That's exactly right. right? Now then you get from, from that, then you go down to the regional languages, and there's 180 of those, then there are official languages within nation states, right? And again, this is what happened. The, the, the colonial um, emperors, empires, England, Holland, uh, France, Germany, etc., um, Spain, um, they split up countries to create language problems um, all about them, and, and this is there's like 600 languages in this that are called official languages within nation states. In other words, a nation state may have two or three languages that are considered official languages. Um, they may have one that is the official, but um, they're, they're also languages that, that are, are accepted 
you know, in the, in the context of education and, and, and public commerce, et cetera. And then there are the local uh, vernacular languages, and that's 6,000 languages, all right? Now, you add that up, and you're, you're into almost 7,000 languages, all right, based on this chart. Now, I, there, there's, that number kind of goes up and down among those that are doing translation work for the Bible and, and getting it out to, to different groups, right? But the, the point of the matter is, if there are 7,000 languages today, <clears throat> what does that really mean, all right? In, 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 in all of this, what's not seen is Hebrew or Jewish. Now, um, <clears throat> And this becomes extremely important as we move forward, all right? Now, <clears throat> the languages of antiquity. Now, I'm not expecting anybody to, to, to take a good, serious look at this, but classical Hebrew is one of the languages that's, that's in this category, all right? And, and you go, well, why, why is that important? We're, I'm going to get to that in a second. And, and what? Okay, so let me just put it this way. If you do not have a language that is the common language of a people group. What are you going to call that people group? Are they going to have any political standing? Are they going to have national standing? No, right? So, and, and by the time we get to the mid-1800s um, and, and, and what's going on around the world, all right, um, the 1800s are, are where we really break into a, a, an almost a global perspective on a lot of things. There, there are, across the, across the world, there are these classical languages of antiquity. Sumerian, e Middle Egyptian, okay? There's Ancient Egyptian, there's Middle Egyptian, Old Babylonian, which is the Akkadian language, Middle Assyrian, Vedic Sanskrit, Old Persian, and, and you can go, and it, it shows up in Chinese as well, and in, in some of the other East European, East Asian languages. <coughs> and so, when you when you grasp a hold of this, and, and you look at how how things are structured. If, if there's not a history of language, an active language, okay, that, that's covered, come forward. And, and so this is not something that, that's just about all those people over there and all those, those weird locations. Understand that as an American, I say that I'm an I'm a English speaker, right? I speak English. No, I speak American English. I've spent time in Great Britain, and I will tell you, if, if you go to Scotland or Ireland or Wales and, and you just kind of go to a, you know, go someplace, have dinner or whatever, you would, you would be willing to swear that you're in a foreign country because you can't understand a word they're saying, and they can't understand a word I'm saying, although we're using the exact same words it's just the, the accent aspect of, of the rest of it. So, but they can tr we can trace it back, okay, um, to Beowulf and so forth. Um, and and uh, every time I think about Beowulf, I think of that my high school senior class 
English class, and I went, oh my goodness. Trying to understand and read old English? Heaven forbid. So anyway, but this is the history of language, okay? It has been a, a migrating process. It has been a changing process over the course of time in, in, in the development of, of humankind. So as we try to understand what's going on in the Middle East today, <clears throat> understand that from, a, from, a, from the perspective of the history of Israel, the diaspora was, a, was an, an, an incredible disaster for Israel, for the Jews. And when you have a diaspora, that, that's the scattering, what happens when a people group loses their use of their native language, right? And this, this is what happened with Israel, because they went to Assyria, Babylon, and they started speaking the language of the, their captive people. And so they be, what happens, in, 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 and you, you see this even in, in, in modern, modern history, they become a, an immigrant minority with a lost history, right? And, and, and this, is, this, has been, this was something of, of tremendous importance to our founding fathers as they, as they ask our, our, ourselves, the, they ask themselves the question, what is our history? All right? what, are we, what are we building upon it? And, and, and so forth, and, and our English and so forth. And so what happens is, is that they, a, a, a nation or a group of people, are, they either assimilate voluntarily, that's the active aspect of things, or they are assimilated, that's the passive feast, they are brought into the society, and there, are, there have been situations over the course of human history where they were not allowed to speak their native language even in their homes, right? Because it, it is well known if you, if you can keep your native language, you can keep yourself historically separated from the, the people with whom you are living, right? And that's, that's, that, that becomes... Or what happens is they're ghettoized. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, a brief modern situation in terms of ghettoizing, okay? Ghettoizing can be history-wise, it can be politically, it can be economically, it can be socially. There's, there's, there's ways to, to ghettoize the people. That is, they basically squish them into a place where they're not part of the, the general society, right? In the 21st century, where we are today, there is a ghettoizing process going on. And I would argue that 90% of us in this room are being ghettoized, right? Because the political process in the United States is all about eradicating from the public space most of the political position, worldview position, of, of those of us that call ourselves conservative, evangelical Christians. You see this in the parents' rights pieces of things, and, and the list goes on and on. I, and I'm not going to get into that. So understand that, that ghettoizing is a tool a political tool that was used, is used, and will continue to be used um, as long as we have some of the conflicts that we have. Now, with that in mind and understanding that the, the, the disaster for Israel when we get to the 1800s was the fact that they were ghettoized, they had assimilated voluntarily, they'd been, they were assimilated of necessity, you know, basically actively or passively uh, as an aspect of the 
the, um, the diaspora. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to get through only the next one of these, and then we're going to break for prayer. Because uh, I, I want to really walk you through this one, because if we don't understand this issue of language in Israel, we don't understand the conflict that we're, that's going on over there right now. And, and the Jews understood this, and, and you, won't, you won't understand why Zionism, Semitism, a Semite, and, and we're going to look at those terms, but this is the, this is the context in which we, we, we have to understand. Jewish is differentiated from Hebrew, right? Hebrew represents the pre-exilic first temple time period, right? During and after the, the exile, Aramaic and Arabic had more influence on what came to be known as Jewish or modern Hebrew, right? It was more Aramaic and more Arabic and less classical Hebrew, right? So it's a language losing its place in the table of, table of tongues, the table of languages. So at, at this point, Hebrew was no longer a spoken language, all right? If it's not spoken, it's a dead language. It has no people group that's, that's, that's active in, 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 the, in the current time. But a liturgical language, in the same way that Latin was uh, for much of the latter Catholic empire, right? And, and the, the usage of the term Catholic empire is the right word to use to understand much of European history, right? Again, Adam and I are the two guys that we've been kind of working through some of this, but, and, and he understands exactly what I'm talking about, right? And, and if we don't understand that, we don't understand European history. The majority of those attending Mass did not know what the priests were reading or saying in, in Latin, which was not their spoken tongue. Now, being a chaplain has some, some fun aspects associated with it, and that is we're as chaplains, we, we basically had conversations with other, uh, other religious leaders that we would never have if we were in a civilian context, okay? And we were just laughing about things about one day, um, and it was like, I don't know, nine or ten of us, and there were two or three of the priests were there, and then a, a whole mixture of, of, of the, the rest of us, okay? And, and one of the priests said, do you know what the most fun is for us as priests? He said, saying Mass. You know Why? We can tell jokes to ourselves for the entire Mass, and nobody else knows what we're telling them. And, I mean, they were serious. I mean, they, 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 that's, that's exactly what they do. I mean, now, are they serious in, in, in some cases with what they're, what they're preaching in Latin? Yes, absolutely. But they said sometimes we just, we just have to, you know, break loose in order to be able to, to, to survive in this, this artificial world that they, they engage in. So, but the point I'm making here is this which was not their spoken tongue. Now, I'm going to stop right here because if I try to go any further, it's going to get too deep and we're going to stop in, like in the middle of the stream and that's not a good place to stop. Um, so, just let me, let me just close up by saying Israel had a language problem in the 1800s and if they hadn't solved the language problem, there would have been no, no United Nations decision because Israel was a set of minority people groups from around the world and, and they were not a people group as in the sense of a people group that would be, could be coalesced around a, 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 um, a national entity, a nation state, etc. 
And so we will we'll come back to this in two weeks. Um, I am not going to interrupt pie and praise or praise and pie. Um, so you'll have to, you'll have to, and, and I'll, I'll bring you back into, into thinking about this. But when, when, when you go out and, and as you listen over the next week or two weeks, when you hear the word Palestine, what should immediately come to your mind? Geographic area only. When you hear Palestinian, what comes to mind? What? Arab. Okay, you're either an Arab Palestinian or a Jewish Palestinian, depending on whether or not you are living in Palestine. If you're not living in Palestine, Palestine, you're not a... Right. So, all right, I'm done. I guess we're supposed to break and go to prayer. I'm done. You're dismissed when you're finished praying.